Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist, to focus more on the emotional connection than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. What's up, listeners, 80s fans, and science nerds alike? I am Patch, welcoming you to this edition of the Feel and Film Podcast. Alongside me, ready to take on nefarious professors and their geeky henchmen, is not, I repeat, not my best friend and co-host Aaron, but rather our trusted source for all things 80s cinema, the one and only Adam Rakoff. Thank you. If you want to call me Aaron, it's fine. I, I It would be weird if I did that. I can't do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a neighbor who I don't know that well, but when I see him on the street, somehow the first time we interacted, he thought I said my name was Aaron, and he always calls me Aaron, and I've never corrected <laughs> him. <laughs> that's that's so, awesome. So I, you are Aaron to him. I don't know how to bring it up. Like you've been saying my name wrong for like two years, man. But, but it's like, what do I Actually, say? You know, <laughs> it's pronounced Adam Rakoff. It's yeah, a different kind exactly. of. Yeah. It reminds me. Did you ever see Space Camp? Oh yeah, totally. Okay, so so Tate Donovan, uh, one of Who my favorite scenes. Phoenix? I think was that. Oh uh, yeah, he, was, yeah, he Lee, went Lee by Phoenix, Leaf, yeah, exact, Phoenix back Lee then. Phoenix before he became Joaquin. Yeah, <laughs> one of my favorite scenes was when uh, Tate Donovan's character uh, Kevin Donaldson he steals yeah. a character named uh, Hideo Takamine's name tag, and <laughs> to get onto a specific team uh, at space camp, and somebody yells his name or the 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 teacher the group lead, and he's like, actually, it's pronounced. Kevin Donaldson. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's one I definitely want to have to cover at some point. If you want to come yeah. back for that, if Aaron doesn't want to do that, then yes, uh, absolutely. Jump on board. It's been years since I've seen Space Camp, but it, it was a, a childhood favorite of mine. It, I mean, it, it, I mean, look at the, every, every kid in the 80s wanted to be, uh, wanted to go to Space Camp and yeah. just the idea of it was amazing so this yeah that, that movie i mean i'm sure it on some level doesn't fully hold up but i don't think i would care i think i would still have a blast revisiting you know <laughs> that that adventure it has great cast so. yes it does yes it does i i love i love the cast yeah uh, lay phoenix included that's <laughs> <laughs> so weird to hear him i know yeah. Yeah, walking walking yeah, anyway. it's probably been I don't know, 15 or 20 years since I've seen it. it Maybe more. I don't know. I mean, man, how old am I? <laughs> it's <laughs> as old as I am. So let's not go there. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we're not talking about Space Camp. We are talking about the 1985 film Real Genius starring uh, Val Kilmer in one of the more interesting roles of his career. It released recently on 4K, which kind of raises the question for me, and I'll kind of well, we'll just go ahead and say this is not a spoiler question, uh, but we will be talking in-depth spoilerific. So, again, as always, this is your spoiler uh, warning. But before we get into the actual movie, I always wonder, as we move into the world of higher quality, going from VHS to DVD to HD versus Blu-ray to eventually Blu-ray winning out, and now we're going into 4K, I wonder what merits a movie getting into 4k because to be honest real genius is not one that i would peg to be like yes 
let's remaster this one in 4K. It's not that it's not deserving to be talked about. Obviously, we're doing an episode on it. But do you know from a technical standpoint, like why movies get released? Is it a cash grab? Is it just to add extra features? Which is, I mean, all fine and dandy. You know, studios want to make money. And what better way to do that than to release it that way? But I wonder if the cost outweighs the benefit in terms of like transferring it from DVD to 4K or Blu-ray to 4K. I I don't even know because I don't have a... I don't have a 4K player. I do have a 4K television, but I'm still early into that world. I just now got a Blu-ray player like two years ago. <laughs> and up until <laughs> yeah. like last year, I had a 720 television, which makes me old to most of the world. So do you have any input into that, Adam? Uh, yeah. So I, this film is a TriStar release, which is owned by Columbia or now Sony and they've been doing a lot of work to go into their back catalog especially the films of the 80s and 90s and doing new restorations so I think it has more to do with the studios involved and how important the sort of rest restoring and preserving of their catalog titles is to them and i think they they're doing they're really leading the charge right now i would say in the home in the physical media market as well in terms of putting out really nice 4k releases of a lot of their sort of success most successful titles now as you point out this isn't necessarily one that i think a lot of people will be like oh this is one of tristar and columbia's most successful movies no it's it's it it's not. I think it was a modest success at the time that it came out, but it did really well and has become obviously a, a cult favorite over the decades. And yeah, I, I just think it's to me, I'll I'll take it. I'll take any movie in 4K because I do have a 4K Blu-ray player, 4K TV, and uh, a 4K uh, streaming device, so I can you know rent and purchase movies digitally and stream them in 4k this i will say i did buy the the disc i bought the the 4k i pre-ordered it when you told me about this and it arrived and i i watched it and it looks beautiful i i again it probably looks better even for you watching it in hd than it does because it's still coming from a new master a new cleaner master but in 4k there's just not a speck of dirt you can it's rich with film grain and it's really, I just, I have to say, it's as close to looking at pro- film being projected on a screen when you watch a movie in 4K on a 4K television. It really just has that filmic quality to it that feels like you're looking at a film in a theater. And gotcha. I, for any movie, I'll take that. You know, <laughs> if I can enjoy a movie in the best possible quality, I will, I will do that any day of the week. Yeah, I, I look at all that. And I think there's definite value to it. I just know that we're going to constantly get better and better. And there's really, I don't know if there's going to be a threshold. I thought Blu-ray was the threshold when it came to, when it came to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're, we're we're reaching a threshold where it really will, it'll be dependent on how big of a screen you have. Like right now, I think a lot of people have, you know, on average 50 to 60 inch screens and 4k, anything more than 4k, you're, not going to really be able to detect a difference. Uh, now, if you have a hundred inch or a hundred twenty inch screen or a projector, then yeah, as you start to go beyond four K, you're going to be able to tell if you look at a six K image or or even an eight K image. But we're getting to a point where it, we're really talking about 
images that are projected or or uh, so large that the average consumer wouldn't wouldn't need that. So I think 4K so kind of might the... be that we might be plateauing uh, uh, for a long time, at least for the average consumer at 4K. Yeah. So that's the clincher right there because my the largest screen in our house is I think 47 inches. So I think Blu-ray quality is probably going to be the most significantly different yeah. that we'll see. Like if I got a 4K disc, in other words, my, Aaron and I share the, the Voodoo library. So anytime one of us gets a yen to purchase movies or whatever, we just right. add to the Voodoo library. And oftentimes they're usually the UHD, Universal HD, which is, I guess, Blu-ray quality. But occasionally you'll get a 4K transfer like Real Genius that is a digital version as well. And I noticed that, yes, it's good quality when I watch it, but I don't have a, as a 4K television, I don't have anything less to compare it to or anything more to compare it to. Right. And so I would, what I'd like to do is an experiment and, and get a Blu-ray disc and a 4K disc of the same movie and then just pop them both in. But again, I don't have a 4K player. And it might be, for you a very nominal difference like you might notice a little improvement but it might be minor what you are seeing though and this is why it is important that the studios do restore them in 4k with new scans that are in 4k or even 6k is that because they're you're getting a cleaned up print essentially like a nice and preserved version of the film no matter what you're watching it on, it's going to look better than it ever's looked before. And that's that's the key. So even if you're only watching it in HD, if you're watching a 4K restoration in HD, that's going to be so much better than an HD restoration in HD. So you're still going to see yeah. the quality improvement as a result of the meticulous work that goes into like you know, cleaning up scratches and, and removing dust and, and any other types of imperfections that might have you know occurred over the years to the negative. But yeah, so... And I and I have to, I will just make one comment that this movie looks far better than a movie of this genre should look, and that really is because the cinematographer is uh, <laughs> an Oscar-winning DP. He, it's it's uh, Vilma Zygmunt, and he did Close Encounters of the Third Kind. He did De the Deer Hunter. He won an Oscar for Close Encounters. I mean, today, and if this movie was being made today. I don't think anyone would hire like an Oscar winning director of photography to shoot a movie of this genre and budget. It's just mind boggling to see the quality of, of the images that are being captured. Like they, they're shooting it as if it's a dramatic and cinematic piece of art, even though it's essentially a little more than a teen comedy or dramedy, <laughs> you know? So it's just for that reason alone, I'm glad they did the uh they took the time to give it a good yeah. restoration yeah it'd be like was it roger deakins doing like yeah. <laughs> no weird science or something <laughs> no exactly and i think this was more common back in this period of time because we didn't have digital technology yet so if you were hiring a dp you had to hire somebody that knew film that knew how to shoot you know on on film and this is also you know shot in 2.35 to 1 or cinemascope so it clearly you know you think of movies like that you're thinking Lawrence of Arabia you know widescreen like this is a essentially a comedy so the fact that they they chose to give it 
essentially uh, a major motion picture treatment when really, as I said, this today would probably be a direct-to-video. <laughs> like if someone presented this script to a studio, they would probably be like, oh, yeah, let's uh, let's make that for cable or, or direct-to-video or whatever. It's just It seems like the mm-hmm. kind of subject matter that wouldn't be treated very seriously in today's market. Yeah. yeah and, and I think that that's, that's a good kind of jumping off point because when I look at a movie like Real Genius, this was one that early on, I, I don't ever remember watching it when it came out. This was not like Goonies or Gremlins or Ferris Bueller's Day Off. These are not movies that released and I liked, released and I liked, and I would watch on repeat. This was actually one that I think I remember or recall seeing on cable and wondering, what is this? Because Val Kilmer is in this, he's a young dude, and I'm like, I remember him in Top Gun, and he was cool. And here he's sort of cool, but not really. And I, as an adult watching this, I always think this feels like a lesser version or a lesser experience, lesser attempt at 80s comedy. Mm -hmm. But as I've watched it and I've grown to really appreciate it, it feels more like a different approach to the 80s teen comedy. Like it's, it's in that mix of Goonies and Animal House without the extremities of that. So Animal House has its own kind of wild and wacky or more like Revenge of the Nerds. So I think it's kind of a comparative yeah, yeah. between those two where you have these extreme versions of these ideas, these high school and college students doing wacky things, going against authority. Real genius kind of sits in the middle of that. And it still kind of captures some of those things that make those movies really funny. And so I've learned to really kind of appreciate it for that. The fact that it's not so out there that it is a classic, but it's not so like less that it feels like a B movie or a ripoff. I often think about the the movie. Um, it's not Event Horizon. I, I can't. I always forget the name of the of the franchise. But it's about those kids who avoid an accident, and then for the rest of the movie, they're oh, all getting uh, picked off. Final um, Destination. Final Destination. Thank yeah. you. I always remember yeah. watching the Final Destination as a '90s movie and thinking these are all the actors that didn't make it into the popular 90s movies like you have like a knockoff freddie prince jr you have a knockoff (laughs) and it just feels kind of weird i don't feel that way with this crew one because they're not so recognizable as actors outside of val kilmer others are and we'll get into those but i think it's because this sort of has a niche in terms of it being pretty unique but not so much like oh man that's an original screenplay and this is oscar worthy of course yeah. it's not oscar worthy but neither was goonies for that matter or even revenge of the nerds but they're those are memorable because they have a wide base and yeah and just captured an audience i think real genius did that same thing but really on the latter side of things like i think it was a movie that was produced it was made pretty well and then it sort of got forgotten and then kind of remembered through cable. And that's kind of my experience of getting to know it. How about you? Yeah. I, you'll be surprised to know that this was my first time watching it in its entirety 
all the way through. It is a movie that I was <laughs> I was well aware of it growing up, but it was one of those weird holes where I saw pieces on TV all the time, but I never kind of started. I was someone also as a as a youngster that if I didn't see a movie from the beginning, I kind of didn't want to I didn't want to ruin it. So if I walked in and I distinctly remember turning on the TV or flipping to this and and seeing the scene where he where Mitch sees the the guy the long hair go into the closet and then he just kind of disappears I was like where'd he go and then I was like oh I can't watch it now though because I'll ruin the movie I I obviously don't know what's going on and so I I turned it off you know and then I I later on at some point saw the ending of the film with uh, I'll just say with the popcorn but I I didn't know any of the setup to it so this was a weird hole for me in my in my 80s knowledge where I knew all about it I knew when it came out I knew sort of what it was about but I just never got around to sitting down and giving it a proper start to finish viewing so getting to see it for the first time in 4k was not so bad (laughs) that's good yeah that's good man yeah well and and i guess you enjoyed it enough to not bail on the podcast not at all yeah i i would not you know no i I don't bail on movies as i said i'm i'm a completist but uh, i i actually did have i enjoyed it very much and i had just had a big smile on my face throughout there are great laugh out loud moments but it's also a somewhat sweet coming of age story as well you know there's a lot more going on than just as you said like a revenge of the nerds you know college comedy this has more going on i feel like there's a little more depth to it to what what we're dealing with and and with with these characters but you know it's it's just fun it's it's an entertaining kind of almost like a classic you know uh a little bit towards the end, like a caper in a way. You mm-hmm. know, it's it almost has multiple genres. There's a lot of genres going on here. We can talk about that. Yeah. You know, there's comedy, there's sci-fi, there's the college coming of age aspect that I mentioned. There's sort of this caper aspect towards the end of the film where they have to like break into a a military installation and pull off a no, not a heist, but they have to you know reprogram essentially. Yeah, uh, the weapon. That part of the movie, I thought all of it was entertaining. That part felt a little weird coming off of everything leading up to when um, when Chris passes the exam. And right. it, it almost felt like when you watch it, he passes the exam and, oh, great. But then you forget, oh, right, they're building this laser that actually has an, other ramifications that we were introduced to at the very beginning. And... So when we get to that point, it does become a bit unbelievable that these college kids who are smart, yes, cool, yeah. can sneak on to a military base. But I think the way that it happens is tonally consistent with the rest of the movie. I love that scene where Chris and Mitch are in their car <laughs> and, and Mitch has that great mustache on. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and Chris just starts just going nuts on this acting, like overacting. And Mitch is like, what are you doing? Stop. Yeah. yeah. So just almost to a point of insulting the security guard, but they let him in. And yeah. so it is very much an 80s screenplay where you think about Ferris Bueller's day off. That's more of a sophisticated, 
I couldn't believe it if it happened, but it makes sense how it did. This feels, you know, a little, little more elementary. And again, that's fine. Yes. These are these are the screenplays that I think I would cut my teeth on if I was a writer. That how do we get point A, point B, point C all the way through? When we were doing the forty-eight hour film project, it was movies like this that I kind of put my head around and said, okay, if I think about a real genius or I think about a, a heist movie, how do I, what are the main elements? And then how do I kind of retranslate those with just kind of funny parts? So instead of having right. like a, an Ethan Hunt doing Mission Impossible, let's put a 12 year old kid doing it. Maybe that'd be a lot funnier. And I think that's what real genius does, especially in the back half. We don't have to believe that these kids could actually get onto a base, get into a plane or, or a hangar or wherever they were and switch out chips. We've seen enough to know that they're smart enough to do it. And we just sort of suspend our disbelief by saying, let's just have fun with this. And this, these types of movies, Adam, I think are what we talk about quite a bit uh, on feeling film about the fact that not every movie has to be Oscar worthy. Not every movie right. has to be um, something that's going to make you, significantly think about something at the same time i don't want to devalue a movie that you just dismiss as like oh that's a guilty pleasure or that's just popcorn fun I'm like, no i mean real people yeah. went into making this movie real people went into scoring it and and filming it and directing it and writing it i mean in the production design look how much is going on in so many of the right. scenes with the, the dormitory yeah. and, and and there's so much that so many decisions that are being made <laughs> to make this film look the way it looks. So it's it's an it's a piece of art in that sense. There's so much about Absolutely. as I mentioned, the Oscar winning cinematographer working on the movie, giving it just a really, you know, more professional look and feel than if it was just shot by some, you know, cheap hire that they could get who was who had never really shot much before. You know, they could have just shot it very standard, but they went for a much more sort of cinematic approach and i think it all plays a role in making this film sort of unique for this genre and 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 also this time period yeah i've, I've said a lot that i love movies that take place in high school I, I, because mm -hmm. i like the high school atmosphere I like the lockers and the hallways the classrooms i think if there's a subset of that it's in college i like movies that take place in college as well what i like about this movie is that cinematography that when you can take a set piece and make it a supporting character, Gotham City is one of those things, New York's that right. way for Ghostbusters, where you you know how to use the scenes in a way that absolutely elevate moments. One of the most memorable ones outside of the popcorn scene is when <laughs> one, of, um, one of Chris's nerdy buddies, uh, the Asian kid, Asian American kid, basically ices over all of the 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 dorm floor and it it was it was a, a reminder of what you would do in college where you would basically put soap on the floor and do a slip and slide down there. I remember doing right. that in my college dorm where you'd have people like yelling above you and below you if you weren't actually part of the action you knew right. that oh yep they've thrown soap and water on the floor now they're just sliding uh sliding down there up and down the the hallway I thought that was so cool when I saw it for the first time. I was like, that's, that's neat. You can, and, and then, you know, Kent asks a valid question. What's going to happen when this stuff melts? He goes, you don't have to worry about it. It goes from a solid directly to gas. Yeah. They, they solved the problem of not leaving any evidence or creating a mess, you know, essentially. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. And he goes, now if we can just keep it from exploding. And he puts on that ski mask. Yeah. And he's like, what, really? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I agree with you. There's something really fun about not just this film, but all the films in this kind of college genre. Growing up watching these college films, I think I got a really <laughs> um, twisted impression of what it was going to be like going to college because these movies obviously take it to such a... Uh, a degree that it looked like so much fun you know you assume that moment that chris um or sorry mitch walks in for the first time to the dorm and there's like a kid mm-hmm. on the arcade machine the music's pounding everyone's just partying it's like it it wasn't quite that way for me i wish it was <laughs> you know but this is what makes movie you know college so much fun is that they can just i mean who again where where are the where's the ra where's the the college you know, the dean of students checking in you know in a different movie there, there would be somebody cracking down on them right we didn't really have that we don't we don't even have much interaction at all with the with the professors outside of uh, william atherton's uh, character it's interesting you know in some of these yeah. movies you always have the you know the de- the dean of students that's there to uh <laughs> to be a foil <laughs> for the hero right and they have to yeah. match wits with him but there's just there's... again this is more than just a college film and that's 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 the thing you know we're we're dealing with this other kind of military conspiracy sci-fi component that sort of i guess elevates it <laughs> beyond a mere college you know uh comedy and and I'll just one other thing I'll say about that is as you mentioned, films like Animal House or um, Revenge of the Nerds, I think that those films, as good as and as entertaining as they are, they also resort to a lot more of the kind of uh, to nudity and kind of body humor to kind of, yeah. and not that this film doesn't have that, in some of it, but it doesn't rely on that. It's not going purely for that audience that just wants the kind of teen sex comedy uh entertainment i feel like this is something it's trying to be a little bit more than just that at least yeah there's a lot to it that i think is saying exactly what 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 you're getting at that it's a scaled back kind of 80s teen comedy in that it's touching on those things and it doesn't include the the teen sex app you know uh, characteristics that I think were kind of precursors to the, the Judd Apatow yeah. comedies that we see today. And, you know, if you like that, you like that. If you don't, you don't. I think where real genius sort of sets itself apart is that in some ways it effectively touches on everything that it's trying to do pretty well. And I say not really well, but pretty well. So again, to think that, a government agency is going to indirectly be able to recruit kids to unbeknownst to anybody else, build a laser that they're right. going to then build for military application. I think that is a bit far fetched, <laughs> but right. because you can take that premise and say, yeah, that wouldn't happen then you can amplify other things. And so you go back to the whole dorm life experience of, you know, walking in for the first time. I recall probably four or five movies off the top of my head right now that have that same kind of flavor of walking in for the first time. 
there there was obviously this one there was back to school with um oh i forget the guy's Rodney, name uh, uh, Rodney Rodney dangerfield, dangerfield. Yeah. hey you know here i am yeah whatever yeah no respect no respect <laughs> no respect uh necessary roughness scott bacula oh, yeah. yep and i think that for me my college experience was not like that i mean there were a lot of kids you know shuffling around but there weren't folks like jamming out to uh, you know, music in a big old like lobby. It was quiet. I mean, it was, right. of course I went to a small Southern Baptist college, so maybe that had something to do with it. <laughs> I've not, I've, but I've been to, you know, our state school. I dated a girl for a little bit and she lived in uh, Fayetteville and went to the U of A, but I never felt that, that either yeah. where you had just this raucous atmosphere inside the dorms. I mean, those things may have existed other places. And I think it's the idea of what college could be like, Right. The freedom of finally being away right. from your your parents and your home where you can just do mm-hmm. whatever you want, stay up as late as you want, just sort of yeah. that. It's tapping into to the audience that is largely mm-hmm. not yet in college who can't wait to go to college because of this this sort of image that they're that they're presenting. Yeah, it's it makes it appealing. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and in modern day movies like this do the same thing. Pitch Perfect is one of those. You have Becca who comes to the college, and the di- the the main difference between her experience the first day and these others is that she walks into a clean room because her roommate is clean, whereas right. the stereotypical '80s setup, like Team Wolf Two, just comes to mind. Oh yeah, uh-huh. it's always like it always feels like. There's your roommate's already living there and he's been there for like a week because it's just right. a pigsty. <laughs> yep. Now, in in defense of this movie, Mitch shows up mid semester. So he's not like it's not like the the semester has just started. He's coming in like during winter break or something like that. Or, right. I think they even say he's the first person they ever admitted mid uh mid school year or something because yeah. of how smart he was and mm-hmm. and his I guess his science fair project that he created yeah so it, yeah it, that does it does make sense and also val kilmer's character is a senior and he's a 15 year old freshman essentially coming in so it, it's it under the circumstances it makes sense that he would you know he's essentially been in that dorm i would assume since you know for several years since and maybe they switched dorms at some point we did in my college every year we had to move but maybe because he was so brilliant, maybe Val's cal- character was allowed to stay there and uh, just s- kind of kind of set up shop <laughs> in that room. For, <laughs> didn't, since, yeah, yeah. He and Laszlo. Yeah, he and Laszlo. Yeah. So they clearly have. He's clearly been there a long time since the seventies. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it makes some sense. Uh, yeah. But you know, one thing I wanted to sort of add too is that as you're saying, it kind of feels like such a far-fetched concept that, you know, these college kids or really, you know, teenagers uh, are helping develop a military weapon. What they do well, though, is first, it's the film starts out with this kind of sequence that feels like you're in a sci-fi movie, and it's quite well done. You don't realize that it's like a, sort of like a, uh, a propaganda promotional piece produced. <laughs> yeah. You know, for the government internally yeah. only, you know, right? <laughs> it's got quite a high <laughs> a commercial for value. five people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but 
<laughs> for like and and it looks quite well done because the visual effects again for 1985 look stellar so and this is you know i don't know who they got maybe they got industrial light and magic to help them out but anyway that scene though when they're all sitting around the tables for me works really well in setting the tone so you realize these guys are kind of inept you know they're just idiots and the the kind of banter they have back and forth is is great there's that great line where um i think it's the ed ed louder character says uh, just as long as we have a working weapon by Ju- by the end of june and the other military guys like <laughs> i don't know dave i haven't had a working weapon since korea <laughs> you know? so i think that scene was really important because it helped you as the viewer to kind of understand okay this is what i'm in for we're, we're we have a like an sort of inept government that's up to really bad stuff you know they, they're doing this kind of this uh secretive operation they have no one to report to and oh and here we have some teenagers you know that clearly are going to be up against these guys at some point later on in the film right and yeah. it makes sense then like because you kind of get okay these are these are the the real smart people are not the ones in the government no it's the people at pacific tech and <laughs> they're the heroes they're the ones that are gonna you know come out on top pacific so, tech too i mean yeah. this isn't even a real well, college it's supposed to be a like caltech you know that's yeah. i think what they're you know they couldn't use the name i'm sure without paying <laughs> some type of fee so they said okay pacific tech <laughs> Maybe like, maybe uh, they tried to get Caltech to, and they're like, "What? What's this movie about?" No, yeah, no, no, what no, are you no. doing? No, you're not gonna, Never. you're not gonna do our, use our name for that. No. Yeah. Uh, let's it's, see, it's on the coast. How about Pacific Tech? That'll work. It's like in what was it? Was it in Spider Man or something where it was instead of uh, NYU, instead of New York University, it was um, the University of New York. They just like switched it around. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> I guess that's, they could have done that. You know, Tech Cal. They could have. They yeah. could have, yeah. But one of the things I like about that scene in the beginning is that it was a gentle kind of not not nod because this movie didn't exist yet, but it reminded me of Jurassic Park when the crew of folks were talking about the potential, and then you had um, you had Ian Malcolm talking about the you know you've you've gone and done right. something that you shouldn't have, and right. I kept thinking right. they've gone and done something that they shouldn't have by yeah. recruiting these kids to do that, and then there's just the, the scene ends in such a weird way because I think they're basically saying that they're going to kill the guy. Yeah, that one guy that's like I can't be a part of this. Like it's like ethically, <laughs> you know. You know, uh, he just walks out, and they're like, "We have to liquidate him, or something like that." You know? it, yeah, the guy says we have to liberate him and, and liberate him. Yeah, the, the dude corrects him, said, "What liberate mean liquidate?" Yeah. <laughs> and then that's it. Like we don't yeah. get to find out. They all kind of have like a weird laugh, they're like, <laughs> you know, like they're like it's it's so humorous. They're gonna kill this guy, you know, because now he knows about this secret project. He's one of the five people that saw this multi-million dollar film that was produced and uh, except for the people that are in the film or shot yeah. the film or did the visual effects for the film. They didn't know they were shooting that. They were like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> they thought they were doing like a, like a cereal commercial or something. They <laughs> airlines. Right. It's like compartmentalized. Like they had like five different teams working on different parts of it. So they don't really know what that's they're right. working on. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think the the whole premise is is fun because the way you get to the characters is through William Atherton's character, and right. I think that 
I, I definitely want to throw some love his way because my brother and I were talking about this a while back, how there were char- there were actors in the eighties that were your quantifiable like villains of eighties movies. And William Atherton is one of these guys. I see him. The two big ones that I know are obviously real genius, but he was also uh, Walter Peck in Ghostbusters. And he was in Die Hard. Yes, he was in Die Hard as well. Yeah. Yeah. So just seeing him like play that role, he is very believable. And he's always going to be one of those actors that I will will connect with being, you know, villainous in that regard. It's very... uh smarmy that's kind of the word that comes smarmy yes yeah, that's, that's a yeah. good way that's that's a good yeah. way to to uh to describe him uh, and that he's yeah he's just kind of like a little sleazy the way he delivers his lines he always sounds like really annoyed with like everybody <laughs> with everybody <laughs> everybody yeah but but there are a couple of lines that stand out to me well lots of lines stand out in this movie in general i think the screenplay is fantastic but yeah i think one of his lines where he's talking to one of the scientists who is explaining to him why uh, the laser isn't working early on and Mitch comes in and he's trying to connect Mitch to the rest of the team. And so this kid, this, this college student's explaining it to him and he goes, Hey, I've noticed you stopped stuttering. He goes, I've been giving myself shock treatments and uh, shock treatments. And he, he <laughs> yeah. just, without skipping, he goes up the voltage. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Are he's very um, deadpan. Like he delivers everything very straight, but it makes it, funny as a result uh one that really stood out for me is when he's going to his house for the first time there's all these construction workers working he said one of them like i guess looks at him the wrong way and he goes what are you looking at you're laborers you're supposed to be laboring laboring that's that's what you get for not having an education i'm like man these guys should just like pummel him like if i were on that construction crew i'd be like I'm not working for this guy. Like, it's like, you got to be nice to these people, right? It's like, treat them, treat them, offer them some lemonade. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And there's that dog, that random dog that's constantly like annoying him. And it's just like a running gag. (laughs) Yeah, the Great Dane. (laughs) Yeah. He's like, I hate dogs. He hates everything, as you said. He hates popcorn. He hates everything. He's nothing. Hates people wearing shoes on the carpet, you know, in this (laughs) house. (laughs) Yeah. It's a nice house, too. I hated seeing how it got got kind of built or destroyed in some regard. But. You know, uh, you know, kudos for the practical effects. The fact yes. that um, you pointed this out, and you sent me a screenshot that there was special thanks to the what popcorn company was it? Oh, uh, what it was? Yeah. Anyway, I, I, it was an actual popcorn company. So they apparently used real popcorn to it explode his house. Yeah, it was the, uh, in the that, credits, it was it was listed as the Lapidus popcorn. Uh, company or incorporated right. i should say yeah and i read something i did read one fun interesting fact about that scene to achieve that much popcorn <laughs> that company working with the production team apparently had to pop continuously popcorn for three months straight and then they had to treat all the popcorn with fire retardant so it wouldn't combust and then they had to cover it, keep it covered, so birds and other, you know, insects and rodents would, wouldn't get to it, and 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 they. So I think they had to even apply poison to it to make sure that if they did, you know, it wouldn't. Uh, anyway, then they had to like bring this by the truckload, obviously, 
using like a uh, construction company out to this house and just you know insert however many million pieces of popcorn they popped i mean three months worth of popping straight to achieve this effect now that's practical effects at its prime i mean today would anyone even consider that with the with cgi no you would just Mm -hmm. be like cgi let's do it and i'm sorry but it would probably look even more absurd if it was done with cgi because they would take it to an even more i would say slapstick sort of level yeah uh, in achieving it, whereas at least this was somewhat confined by physics, because there was real popcorn bursting out of the of mm-hmm. the house. Anyway, it, it's it's a fun scene. It, yes, it's it's ridiculous, but it's it makes sense for the film. Wait, you mean they didn't use a laser to pop it? Okay, no. I guess that was okay. Uh, Darn unfortunately, it. no. Anyway, that spoiled my yeah. popcorn love there. Anyway. It did make me want to eat popcorn afterwards. There was that um, that show, Mythbusters, apparently tried to once debunk whether or not what they did was possible or not. And I guess they determined that you could apply heat in that way to pop the popcorn, but it would never burst the windows and doors and break the, the foundation of the house. Like it wouldn't expand in that man- manner to... to destroy the house it would just start to uh, you would fill the the entire house right and then it would basically start to burn they just like it would start to char it would just get hotter and hotter so okay i just ruined the movie didn't i i just you did <laughs> I just and that'll applied. do it for this episode of yeah. feeling film no. <laughs> I, I applied too much logic but no I, I mean clearly there were many if they did a whole episode of mythbusters on this clearly there were others in the world that were curious as to whether this uh, this was possible or not? Not well, just me. Yeah. Not just you. So, <laughs> see, love love is beyond just us two for this movie. I know. And hopefully, yeah. the listeners listening can agree with this. But yeah, yeah. I, I just think I, I love um, I love William Atherton. I think the only other actor that I think of when it comes to like eighties villains that would surpass him is uh, Jeffrey Jones, who oh, yeah is. Just Ferris, yeah, Ferris Bueller, Bueller yeah. Amadeus, Howard the Duck. I'm um, just kind of going through his um, his filmography. Just he is, I think, the quintessential '80s villain. Yeah, in that sort of category of sort of that inept villain, like like he's just yes. always yeah bumbling and fumbling and just kind of you know nothing ever quite goes right for him. Oh, he was in Beetlejuice. Exactly. He was great in that's that. That's right, he was. Yeah. yeah. He was good in Beetlejuice. I liked him a yeah. lot. In there. That was another, that's a good movie I haven't seen in a long time. That's I classic. I want to introduce my kid to it, but I don't oh, know if yeah. he's quite ready for that kind of like Tim Burton humor. Yeah. Um, be, and the reason why is because uh, Jump in the Line was playing on the radio mm-hmm. and he liked oh, that yeah. song. I was like, oh, Carson, I want to. Wait, never mind. Wait, no. Let's hold yeah. off on that. <laughs> yeah, maybe another two years. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it, it's a little dark. It's a little yeah, a little much. Yeah. Speaking of um, actors, I want to talk a little bit about Val Kilmer. Obviously, he kind of spearheads this thing. He's not the main main character, but he's definitely one of the <laughs> big supporting actors, and he plays Chris Knight, the senior. When you talk about delivery of lines along with William Atherton, I think he has that dry kind of delivery as well. 
which exists in his other movies. Um, yeah. Specifically, Top Gun, I think he's got that sort of just direct kind of thing. It's less like that in The Doors and Tombstone, for sure, because he's playing actual like people, uh, biopic-type people. But right. I really... I know that there was another movie he was in that I, I confess I have not seen. It is, um, I, oh, what is it? It is, uh, secret, top Willow. secret. Oh, no, top I've, secret. No, I've seen yeah. Will, yeah. Top yeah. secret. So that was, I think the first, that one was that, his first big role. Yeah. And it, and it's interesting yeah. because top secret, and this was really his next major film after top secret. It's interesting that he started out really as almost this comedic, young actor but then really transitioned rather quickly to serious drama and some of his roles like mad martigan in willow has some some comedic aspects to it as well but but he he clearly got his start in comedy and then successful successfully transitioned out into really like oscar worthy performances like as jim morrison you know in in the doors and 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 really, so many films in the '90s. He, he I don't think he really ever went back to comedy, uh, at least not in as an actor. He he may have been in some films yeah. that were had funny aspects to them, but but even but even in this movie, there's subtlety to his comedy. Yes, like he's not. He'll do the occasional. He's not Jim Carrey. <laughs> he's no. It's not that kind of humor. Right. It is. It is script-driven humor. It's not slapstick. It's not physical comedy. It is driven by good lines. Good writing, yeah. Good writing, yes. So when you hear him talk to Mitch, like his introduction is really great because Mitch comes in and he's stiff as a board. It's a great contrast between him and Chris. And he said, I asked Dr. Laszlo, uh, I was missing myself. (laughs) So... I asked Dr. Laszlo if I could ruin myself again, and that's why he sent me you. And I'm butchering the lines, obviously. But yeah, yeah. later on in that scene, uh, Mitch is talking to him. He's like, I'm looking for my clothes. He's like, yeah, um, I followed them, under, you know, hush puppies, blah, blah, blah. And I, I couldn't I couldn't fit your sport coat anywhere, so I threw it out. And we never yeah. find out if he actually threw out the sport coat. I don't think we he did, but it wouldn't put it past us. And let me let me back up. That was not the first time we got introduced to him. We got introduced to him early. Oh right, at the job, int- when he goes to the job, in, I guess it's like an interview or or introduction, maybe. Yeah. To, to where his his post college job is lined up. Yeah. Yeah, and I think what we realize as the movie goes on is that we we assume something about him right. that. He's wearing these doily ear things. He's wearing slippers and a t-shirt that says I heart toxic waste. And we <laughs> right. think he's just a, he's just a screw up. I mean, why, yeah. wh- what's the deal? Yeah. But we realize later that there's a method to his madness. And when he makes that line, when he says, I just didn't want you guys to think I was a stiff or that I was stuffy. I think yeah. that's, there's some truth to that. Like he, he really, as he explains to Mitch, he didn't want to get to that point in his college career where he cracked, where studying was all he wanted to do and that success was defined by the next great breakthrough. And so he pulled back. And I think that's what makes his relationship with Mitch so cool is that Mitch as a freshman is in some ways, metaphorically him right? three years ago. 
So getting a chance to kind of revisit that, I think pulls him back to a place where, okay, he, maybe he's now in the extreme end of not wanting to be a person. He went a little too far maybe, but still his intentions were, were coming from a place of this will help balance me as a human being. Like I'm so intelligent. I'm so smart. I can do all this stuff, but if that's all I am, then 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 he becomes William Atherton when he gets older and he doesn't want that. You know, he wants right. to he 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 realizes that he has to stop caring so much and just kind of live in the moment a little more and be able to appreciate and enjoy life and not be so stressed like like Mitch is all the time. You know, and he to right. the, to the extent that he almost wants to quit after like a month, you know, he calls his mom. He's like, I want to come home. And you know, it's a sad scene, but he's 15. So you have to imagine it's, it's gotta be rough. You rented out my room, mom to who? (laughs) Like the plumber or something? Like, (laughs) I don't even understand that. Why, why are they renting it to the plumber? (laughs) Hello, dad. Oh gosh. That, that whole scene was so embarrassingly hilarious. (laughs) And that's when we start. I feel like, when when Val Kilmer starts to come around and realize, okay, I, I can I need to help this kid, you know, because he he realizes that he has to help him well first get what does he say, payback or get revenge, yeah. whatever, you know. It's a moral imperative. It's a moral imperative. Exactly. <laughs> and and I feel like that's when the movie takes a turn where we start to see, okay, this guy isn't just just he's not just a goofball. He's not, you know, a uh, a complete waste of space he's actually he's got some something to him he has character right and it's interesting how we have like four almost four generations of intelligent people in this film we have maybe the oldest being william atherton right he 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 at one time must have been a very smart individual to be you know hired he clearly is an idiot now but (laughs) yeah i was thinking about his 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 tv show (laughs) Right. The COVID. That's right. <laughs> what do we know? That's all we get. We don't see any more footage of that of that show because Darn it. Uh, gonna, Kent I'm interrupts him. Episode. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I interrupted you, sorry. No, no, it's okay. But yeah, he's like the oldest and obviously not what anyone wants to become uh, of the younger individuals. Then you have that that weird closet dwelling character that lives in the Laszlo like, Hollywood. Laszlo Hollywood. Yeah. And played by he, played by Jonathan Grease. Let me just say played by Jonathan Grease. Who, who I know what him. He, been in? Uh, he he would be uh, Uncle Rico from uh, Napoleon oh, Dynamite. That's yeah. him. Oh my gosh! He, I bet you could throw even... a football over the mountains. Yeah, <laughs> this is what the happened to Laszlo. He says, it. "Yeah, that pigskin over the mountain." <laughs> I could throw him a quarter mile. This is what happened. We've talked about this yeah. before on AOS. That yeah. in a universe that would be connected, yeah. Laszlo leaves. He wins the Frito Lay sweepstakes, marries the right. girl, but ends up getting divorced. And then moves in with Napoleon, gets a nice go. little mustache, and then lives out his uh, his days reminiscing about high school. Apparently, college was a, a blank memory for him. It was like traumatic or something. Right. That's my right. only way to connect him. But yeah, he played uh, Uncle Rico in Napoleon. I, it's like I have to go back and rewatch it now, to, and with that in mind, because I don't think I have ever seen any other films with Uncle Rico in in them. So I, I can't think of any of that with that actor so anyway that you know but he's he's an interesting character because he's there i think to show 
another an, a slightly older maybe 10 years older character who who did crack under the pressure of being at Pacific Tech and kind of gave up you know and re- resorted to living inside this strange I don't know what it is like this the, the steam, steam tunnels steam, the steam tunnels, tunnels underneath the yeah. the dormitory with yeah, like a strange like <laughs> like tr- little trolley car that like little lowers ro- you roller down coaster, <laughs> roller coaster yeah. and it moves you forward like 10 feet and then goes down again <laughs> and, then, and he's Mitch just in there out. printing out yeah he's just in there printing out those frito-lay entry tickets like all day long <laughs> yeah. it's such it's a kind of a cheap kind of a cheap uh nerdy freddy krueger kind of thing where i was just yeah. kind of expecting like a boiler room with him instead of instead of you know knivy fingers, he's got like right. uh, books that he's I don't know something like that. <laughs> yeah, that's so yeah, it's so it's so funny. But yeah, so he's like the that second uh, generation. Then you've got obviously got the Val Kilmer, and and then Mitch. So it's like you have these four characters at different levels, all sort of geniuses, but at different levels of their of their career, I guess you could say, and. Uh, we're sort of following Mitch, I would say, and to a certain degree, um, Val's character as well. But Mitch is kind of, I think, the character we're supposed to sort of be be going on this journey with uh, yeah. as the audience and mm-hmm. and relating to. And I I really like the actor. He's been in a handful of things. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's interesting to see these two characters or these two actors and one has just sort of had a skyrocketing career right? and the right. other one has gone on to do other things. Uh, no, no disrespect to actors no, that, no. I mean, if you're working, you're, you're an actor. If you're, if you're a working yeah. actor, you're an actor. I don't really care what you say, even if you're, <laughs> if you're paying the bills and you're enjoying what you do, keep doing it. But I think his introduction is so fun because the the costume design for especially between him and Chris is so contrasted mm-hmm. that it really brings out this awkward nerdiness. The way his hair is parted down the middle when we first get introduced to him, he's trying to explain to his dad the concept of a laser, and he actually spells out the acronym uh, light emitting <laughs> right. light something, and I can't remember. But his dad is so clueless, and. At one point, both his mom and his dad are just completely like not even connected to this. And Atherton, Atherton's character is um, kind of saying, "Tell me, is Mitch adopted?" And his mom yeah. goes, "You would think," or something like that. Like she's <laughs> yeah, almost like, like not he getting get that he's yeah. insulting them. Right? Like, are you sure he's not adopted? Yeah, <laughs> it's so bad. And yeah. so, just watching, I can see why it's appealing to Mitch yeah. to have this guy who is um, really courting him and saying, Hey, you're going to, you're going to be part of my research team. You're not just coming to school. This isn't just getting a scholarship at the age of 15. You're going to be on my purse. I'm going to personally put you on my team. Uh, we're going to be doing amazing things. And you know, at 15 years old, that would mean that I would probably be pretty enamored with that. You've got this guy who is on TV apparently talking about colons and that's that's a popular thing to a lot of people <laughs> that you know he's he's insta famous for the 80s <laughs> when it comes to those kinds of things. Right. But for Mitch 
I, I like seeing his progression. I mean, he, he plays, the actor plays him so well in terms of just being awkward. I felt like he was 15. I don't know how old he was when he, when he did this movie, but he definitely felt significantly younger to all of these other students like Kent mm-hmm. and his minion people. So I think having him contrasted against Chris was such a great maneuver because as you mentioned, as we talked about, they, they help each other not only in terms of like standing up to the bad guys, whether it's <laughs> Kent or we keep saying Atherton's character. I need to find out what his name is before I go crazy. Oh, yeah. It's, um, it, I have it here. Professor or Dr. Dr. Hathaway, Dr. Hathaway. Hathaway. Yeah. Hathaway. So obviously going after those two is primary, but they also have recognized that, you know, Chris pulls Mitch out of his shell and says, hey, let's relax a little bit. But then Mitch pulls him back and says, listen, we've got to focus. This is important for us to be able to take down these individuals. We need to be able to have your genius, have your real right. genius come out, uh, Chris. Yes. Especially when uh, they almost, when he's told by Will, William Atherton that he's going to lose his job and his, after college and he's not going to graduate, then that's when it, it it kind of comes full circle and, and Mitch has to kind of bring, as you said, bring Val Kilmer's character back around to, and get him to realize his full potential again. Cause he had kind of given up. Right. He had kind of not given up, but he had, he was slacking off, you know, he wasn't really, he wasn't studying anymore. He wasn't really trying. And, and we get some great montages of, you know, him getting back and, you know, puts on a button down shirt again in one scene. But, <laughs> <laughs> but still wearing the slippers. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you notice, he was—I think he was trying to dress like Kent in that scene where he and Kent oh, had the yes. same same shirt. But of course, he <laughs> had the had the rabbit slippers right, that right. were uniquely Chris. I, I love that he—you know—he slips him a piece of paper and an apple that says "I aced yeah. this," but the apple was a was a explosive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Good good thing he did take a bite. Yeah, I mean that. Yeah, I love the hijinks in this in this movie. Yeah. The the pranks of um, putting Kent's car. I have no idea how you could do that, but whatever. They, I mean, they they had to. I was thinking they had to literally disassemble the entire car and reassemble it inside yeah. the dorm room. That's the only way. Yeah. And and I mean, I get it. These are supposed to be intelligent people, but have any of them been a part of a? Uh, uh, an automobile manufacturing Auto yeah. plant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't think they really know how to put everything back together, but, uh, yeah, but not only that, adding, well, sus- suspension being the key word here, because the, the ability yeah. for them to not only put it in his room, but also to make it go up and down. I mean, that's right. just crazy hilarious and completely not possible, it would take but whatever. All night, I mean, it would, it, it, yeah, it would be so much work. Yeah, I love Mitch's line when he says, uh, you know, you're not supposed to park that on campus, Kent. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's some good stuff, yeah. I mean, and clearly the, the you know, the, the popcorn popcorn stunt. And, uh, yeah, and just just all the just things they do for fun, you know, throughout the, uh, in the dormitory. It, yeah, you know, they have the pool party inside the lecture hall, you know. Oh, gosh, yeah. Like inside the insane. orchestra pit. The pool yeah. is actually in the orchestra yep. pit. That's so cool. I love that. It, it makes sense. Like, it's slower. You can fill it with water. I mean, they line it with, mm-hmm. you know, plastic or, yeah. It's or just, not. Like a, I mean. Or not. But I think they did, yeah. <laughs> they had a big water slide coming down from the balcony. <laughs> so good. 
and Ugh. Mitch's Mitch's girlfriend, or I guess who becomes his girlfriend. Right. I I still don't quite. I mean, I think she's fun, but I don't yeah. really think she adds much to the story. Um, she's a very quirky girl. She reminds me a little bit of um, the actress who plays Winnie Cooper on the the Wonder Years, and only because oh, yeah. I know that in in another part of her life, she's this insanely smart mathematician. So mm-hmm. I keep thinking, oh look, Winnie Cooper went to Pacific and you know fell in love with Mitch, <laughs> and you know they lived happily ever after because you know things didn't work out with Kevin Arnold because he wasn't smart <laughs> enough apparently. But anyway, now I, I, one of my favorite little small moments was the use of the liquid nitrogen. Oh, that yeah. became that became the crux for the laser success. But I love how Chris uses it to. Uh, to make like coins for the, for the vending machine and just a little insight into our other podcast here, an original series, we're going through halt and catch fire as we're recording this and a character on that show actually manipulates a quarter to get what they want in the show right. in, in a slightly similar too. way. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just love the hijinks. I love the creativity of how these things are, are played out Right. And it's just, it very much is consistent with the style of the movie, not just like the, the genre of the movie. It's still, you know, comedy, drama, adventure, whatever. Yeah. But being at a, at a college where there's a lot of smart people, the way you're going to prank each other is by seeing who can really be the smartest. And these were great ways to show that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, back to that pool party real quick. Did you notice one of the actors in that scene was chosen from the karate kid part two and cobra kai no i didn't are you kidding me i think his name is yuji (laughs) yuji okamoto and he is the student that says they're beauticians when oh my goodness they're from the beautician school yeah you gotta it's like i think the only line he has he might be in some of the other scenes like in the background but i think that's his one and only line yeah is he in other stuff too in the eighties? Like, did he have small parts in other like, I teen don't comedies? Know. I never saw him in much else. I'm sure there were things that he was in. This, this is why it was surprising to me because this came out, I think, a year before the Karate Kid Part Two. So he looks very similar to he the way he looked in the Karate Kid Part Two. So I was like, that's chosen. Of course, now he's okay. uh, older, chosen in Cobra older Kai. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, before we finish up, is there anything else you wanted to throw love at for this movie? Well, there is one other, I guess you could call it cameo. <laughs> I don't know if you caught earlier in the film. At 11 minutes and 54 seconds, you can see a major Hollywood actor for like a second and a half or two seconds. I don't okay. know. Exactly. Okay. Like it's... It's very short, but you've, did you notice who I'm referring to or not? Uh, I, I didn't. I didn't. Okay. Who is it? You can see Tom Hanks in the background. Um, <laughs> Mitch bumps into him. Yes. And he just kind of looks over at him. <laughs> does he bump into Tom Hanks or does he bump into an actor? I don't know. He doesn't have any lines. Tom Hanks is playing. Now, here, here's my theory. I, I looked this up, too. I couldn't get much confirmation. I've, I've seen people have posted screen grabs saying look, it's Tom Hanks in, in Real Genius. But my theory is this. this. This film was produced by Brian Grazer before he started Imagine Entertainment. It was Ron Howard in 1986, I think. 
So he had he was a so you know he was producing films by himself prior to this movie that that Ryan Grazer produced he produced Splash starring Tom Hanks so I'm wondering if he's just like oh I'm shooting this movie come on set you know and he, and he decided you know keep him in a scene he played an extra you know just why not you, know, you need extras it was the scene where they're all when Mitch is introduced to the professors out in the lawn you know they're all there's like a hundred people just kind of talking and you know, eating hors d'oeuvres and drinking. So he's just, uh, that's my theory. There's not much to go on. It's not listed on IMDb, but it's clearly an uncredited, um, you know, extra, you know, I, I would say it's not even a cameo because he wasn't really famous yet. And it's very possible that when this came out that, or when this was shot, that Splash hadn't even come out yet. It's, it's, you know, sometimes films are shot in such a way that they don't get released for a year or two or more, you know, and so he could have just been literally an extra in that scene. And only now did he become, you know, because we know Tom Hanks is Tom Hanks, that it actually mm-hmm. matters. Yeah. yeah. Well, two things I'll be doing before uh, I go to bed tonight. I'll be <laughs> yeah. queuing this back up to look at those you, two if things. If you, and... if you're, if you can look at, you could probably Google right now, Tom Hanks and, uh, no, I want to do the work. Real I genius. want to do the work, yeah. Adam. And, Eleven and, minutes. Put the work in. Fifty. What did I say? Eleven minutes, fifty-four <laughs> seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Left so side of the frame. Look. Yeah. Okay. I'm looking. <laughs> I'm gonna do that. He's very young, so he doesn't look like, you know, he's, this, this isn't Forrest Gump. This isn't. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is if he's that, that young. Yeah. In the 1950s. Yeah. Anyway. No, yeah. I think. Uh, to tack onto that before we finish, uh, Brian Grazer, hardest working producer in show business, his yeah. name is on so many things. And when I saw him as a producer, I was like, well, you got to give this at least three stars because yeah. Brian Grazer's name is attached to this. And uh, I love most of the stuff that he's produced for sure. Yeah. And there's um, one other fun fact I found out in just reading up on the film. Apparently, when the film came out to promote it, the studio held. Um, what they billed at the time as the world's first computer press conference, which had Brian Grazer and the director, Martha Coolidge, answering questions from journalists uh, via computer terminals. And then they were re- they were relayed over a CompuServe computer network. So they were trying, they went all in <laughs> in trying to, you know, make this release as timely as it could be at the time that it came out. Yeah, it or, makes a lot of yeah. sense. Yeah. Lots of sense there. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of Feeling Film. Adam, thanks for stepping up to the plate and joining this conversation with me. It would have been awkward with me by myself. My name's Aaron. You want to be called Aaron? I'm not calling you Aaron. I'm not doing it. Aaron 2.0. Nope, nope, that's Aaron Hunley. Now we've already already established that there is an Aaron 2.0. You might be 2.5. Adam Adam (laughs) 1.0. Well, before we we wrap up, uh, where can people find you if you are around on social media? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at Adam Rakoff, and that's my one and only um, place to be found. (laughs) <laughs> on social so feel free to follow reach out to me uh if you love this movie or want to talk about tom hanks's appearance uh i'm available and <laughs> uh yeah thanks so much for having me back on feeling film it's always fun and uh this was a i really like i said this was a hole in my in my 80s filmography and i'm so glad i finally got to 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 not only watch it in its entirety, but do a deep dive on 
on you know everything about it so it was it was a lot of fun more like a swiss cheese because they're little, little yeah. holes i mean you saw That's, some of yeah, it yeah. Not, yeah yeah and there were a bunch of, and that, that was the other thing i'll just add there were a, a lot of movies around this mid 80s period that all kind of confused me there was like this there was weird science there was a movie called my science experiment about kids that do something i don't i haven't seen that one either but i think i saw parts of it on tv there was just like it was a trend there was like this thing about nerdy 80s teens and computers and science experiments <laughs> just yeah it's <laughs> real science or uh right. you know weird geniuses or young frankenstein no that's young einstein with uh young einstein yeah yahoo serious uh, yahoo serious yeah i remember him <laughs> i actually haven't seen that so i can't i don't know <laughs> if it has any relation to the topic that we're discussing but yeah <laughs> Well, listeners, if you like this conversation, uh, as it was a little abnormal for Feel and Film, you can always catch more of me and Adam on our podcast, an original series. You can follow that show at um, AOS underscore podcast. You can also check it out. Just search it on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Pandora, Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. Hopefully, we're everywhere now. We've got a handful of episodes out. If you want to find out more about that show, check out our pilot episode, episode zero, whatever we called it, and it should give you insight into us, the show itself, why we're doing what we're doing, what we hope to get out of it, and hopefully you'll enjoy that conversation as much as you've enjoyed this. If you hated this conversation, we suggest that you tune in to something else or just wait till Aaron comes back and fixes it all. So um, but hopefully you can't, that won't you happen. You can't hate case. it. You can't, you're not allowed to. You can't. <laughs> <laughs> we just me. did an AOS takeover is what we did <laughs> for a yeah. Finland film. What are we tuning into? <laughs> I should okay, have done the back, AOS intro instead of that. Yeah, back to Halt and Catch Fire. Back to Halt and Catch Fire, right. Previously All on. right. <laughs> Previously on an original series that you're not tuned in for. But anyway. <laughs> All right, Adam. Thanks for a great conversation, and we will talk soon. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoy the show, we'd love to hear from you. You can leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. These help increase visibility for the show and grow our community of listeners like you. We also invite you to connect with us further by joining our ever-growing Facebook discussion group. A link to that is in the show notes, or you can just search on Facebook and find us that way. If you'd like to continue the conversation with me, you can follow the show on Twitter, at FeelinFilm or connect with me in the Facebook group. I'm very active in both places and would love to chat. And if you want to connect with me, you can find me at Shoeless Patch on both Facebook and Twitter. Be sure to tag me in any comments so that I'll be notified and not miss you. Once again, thank you for listening. We'll be back soon. Until then, stay positive. And keep feeling film.